0: Welcome to the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. My name is Sam Clements, and this is the podcast that celebrates films with a 90-minute or less runtime. In each episode, a guest will select a film and join me to add to our ongoing fictional film festival. Usually... This is a special festive episode, folks. Today, we are joined by returning guest, director and writer Colin Trevorrow and Rebecca Linfort, creative executive at Metronome Film Company, for this special Christmas edition. We're here in the Podgrotto, guys. Thank you so much for coming into London to talk to me today.
1: Thank you. Hello.
0: Breaking the format. And welcome back as well, because you're a, you're a returning guest, Colin. I think it was in 2019, maybe. Uh, you came to our first ever live show, mm-hmm. um, the London Podcast Festival. We screened your movie, Safety Not Guaranteed, 86 minutes long. Tight. <laughs> uh, lovely, lovely runtime. And uh, and yeah, it was a sold out crowd. And uh, we, I think we were the only film screening at the podcast festival, but it went down really well. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, well, thanks for having me. Thanks
1: for letting uh, me hijack your podcast and, and bring Rebecca in here, too. I, I felt like... Uh, it was important to, I don't, I don't want to call you a civilian, Rebecca.
2: But, <laughs> no, no, go uh, ahead. Someone who's, <laughs> uh,
1: who uh, just watches movies, because uh, we talk about movies all the time. Rebecca works at at, at our company at Metronome and uh, constantly uh, talking about the value of a short movie. And she's got a lot of things to say about it. So uh, I kind of punked her and, and dragged her in here. She didn't know she was doing this today.
0: So this is your first ever podcast, Rebecca?
2: It is my first ever podcast, although I do like to listen to them.
0: Very good. Well, I'm glad this could be your, your podcast debut and maybe the first of many podcasts.
2: Who knows? Who
1: knows? <laughs> Star is born here today on the 90 minutes or less. Uh,
0: but you were integral in setting up our Safety Not Guaranteed screening and, and, and today, so that's, uh, that's fab. And I guess that your company, you have made a short movie. You made the short Jurassic movie uh, before Dominion. We made uh, Battle of Big Rock,
1: which we shot uh, in Ireland. Uh, which was a blast. These are the memories, man. I thought about
0: that in a while. <laughs> yeah. It was an
1: amazing time.
0: It was a really cool movie because often you know short movies you know have a not a great big budget and and there's something. But there are some there's some effects in this film and yeah. so, and it's really exciting.
1: Well, that was a that was a great challenge just because I I do value you know brevity and economy and storytelling and and so to. Try and uh, take all of of the elements that are required in a Jurassic movie. You know, starting with uh, a family and and calm, and, and then awe and wonder, and that slowly you know devolves into terror and and death. All of those elements usually take about you know two hours in your average Jurassic movie, and so the challenge was: can
0: we you know can we do it in eight minutes? A single digit runtime. That's like a that's a chef's kiss achievement. Mm. There, I think. Mm-mm. This is a special Christmas edition. You're, you're here, listeners. We're not going to talk about uh, a single movie. Uh, we'll get into that in a moment. But as it is Christmas, I thought it'd be nice to pull some crackers. It's a very British tradition. Uh, Colin, I know you're you sort of uh, you're, you're living here now. You know, I, I don't know if you've adopted many British traditions come the holidays. I have. I've been living here for many years, and I'm aware of those.
1: <laughs> and I remember them being very loud. Uh, but I try to participate in, and be as much of a part of it as I can.
0: Very good. So, uh, Rebecca, can I give you a, a cracker? Absolutely. And Colin, yeah, can I give you a cracker? Great
1: cracker because of the sound it makes sense.
0: absolutely right. okay That's let's really should cool. we try and like do this simultaneously okay right all right. the pressure's on you colin you're doing Ready? two at once Three, two, one. Oh, very oh. good and colin has won both nice. listeners so colin's got the big end oh i didn't even uh, know it was a game yeah you these. got a little
2: gift there as well
1: what uh, did they get okay
0: so uh so crackers i guess uh, rebecca you'll, you'll probably have pulled many of these they usually come with a small metal item uh, either a tiny set of screwdrivers this is some tweezers
2: Oh, they're uh, really useful. I love well, a useful cracker. Well, that, gift. That's
0: going straight to you, then. Oh, uh, <laughs> Thank you.
1: That's so specific. Like, what, what's the origin of a small metal item? Where did that come from?
2: I don't know. I mean, it's just—it just is what it is, isn't it? Well, it <laughs> had
0: to start somewhere. Yeah, someone had to do it first of all. Um, it must have—it must have been toys, right? First of all, uh, like it, it, they can't have been in the Victorian times doing tiny metal tweezers and screwdrivers. No, I, I reckon have... it was like spinning tops and dice. <laughs> I wish we knew. <laughs> uh, that's definitely something to write in, listeners. If you can, please tell me the history of crackers, Colin. You've got the the classic spring with a ring. Really? <laughs> so this is like there's more than one of these? This happens all the time. That happened. Well, I how think, does one use a spring with a ring? I sort of thought it was supposed to be a puzzle, but it's kind of the world's most underwhelming puzzle because you just need to sort of reorder the not, ring. Not up much to Oh, I see. You're doing this. Um, I, it's also like a fidget thing. That's true. You do this. I think it's sort of supposed to entertain you for seconds during Christmas dinner. <laughs> oh, that, second, that second may have passed, but I'm, I'm going to hang on to it. So we're, we're, we're recording this at the end of the year. It is, it is Christmas time. You guys have had a huge year. Jurassic World Dominion was released across the globe. The combination of, I guess, you know, many, many years work. I think when we recorded in 2019, you did the short, but you were about to go straight into, into production on the big one. Years ago. Years I ago. Didn't, I,
1: have a, I have a gray beard now. You can yeah. see the difference. Yeah no I mean it, it it it's been an adventure it's been uh 9 years since it all started and um and now you know I'm not going to say the shop's closed but you know we are on the other side of it and and looking at uh, a lot of stuff in the future that's that's very exciting and it's it's very satisfying to have done something that uh, that people enjoyed, that made you know kids happy all around the world. These are uh, you know incredible things to have uh, known that you've done in your life, and uh, so I'm I'm very proud to be a part of it.
0: There are very much films you need to see at the cinema, and like I say, they've touched so many people. It's one of the the highest grossing films, one of the most watched films in theaters this year. So it must be kind of nice, yeah, to sort of look back on it now, and it you know it's it's there, it's done. <laughs> You're not in the soup. And I you know I I think
1: that the fact that we got to be in the in cinemas at all Uh, i've found to be uh, a gift and and kind of a miracle in this day and age and i know that the dinosaur movies are going to get there it's really hard for anything else to get there uh it might be the last movie i ever get to have in cinemas I i don't know i don't know where we're going uh hopefully uh that won't be the case but um that said uh, it is available at home if you're interested and uh, I would suggest the extended edition over uh, the theatrical I'm just saying I just <laughs> thought I would say that
0: we are a podcast about runtimes and, and interestingly you, you had the theatrical cut and then on, on Blu-ray I, I own it I, um, you got the extra like 15 minutes or so on the extended um, I really enjoyed the extended I thought the extra stuff was wonderful and uh, and yeah I guess like when you're actually making the film you have to make decisions all the time on how long this thing will be You know, does this line in the script go in and every, every possible process
1: well, this this sounds very um, contradictory from someone sitting in a 90 minutes or less podcast to, to make the case for why that movie should have been longer when it was already two and a half hours. <laughs> uh, but, you know, uh, that, that was a very specific uh, construct of a film uh, in, in that uh, – you did have, you know, you had two parallel stories running. You had two first acts that you had to do simultaneously, uh, you know, to build these sets of characters that are that are designed to collide at a certain point in the movie. And uh, I initially thought it was going to be a three-hour movie, honestly, and and uh, then we we just reached a point where the studio really felt like it needed to be shorter and and uh, there was just concerns also just about you know covid and whether people were going to come back to the theater to see a movie that long and and so we ended up you know you find your compromises it's part of the job and and it can be uh, a little traumatic sometimes for for a filmmaker to, to take things out that they they really feel are necessary but uh i was also very fortunate in that they they let me um Release the original version that we'd cut uh, for people to see, and and you know down the line, I feel like the audience will make a choice if they think the movie, uh, you know, has value at at that length to them, then they'll watch that one, and uh, so
0: they will be the judge. I think a lot of films have that. Don't know if you're able as a filmmaker to put two versions out, um, and audiences decide. I feel like the director's cut of Aliens, James Cameron's film, that seems to be like the de facto one now. People like all of the extra stuff in in that longer cut. I, I will admit, like I
1: I would prefer it, and and may have made an attempt for the, this to be the de facto one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Uh, I I do I do think that uh, it, it's a more complete film, and uh, and yet I don't think uh, all films need to be two hours and forty minutes long as that one is uh, worth noting, it's really only two hours and about you know, 30 minutes, but there's 10 minutes of credits on these big movies. Uh, and that tends to bloat running time significantly. So whenever you see a, a big blockbuster movie that uh, feels overlong by about 10 minutes, uh, that's one of the reasons why.
2: I also think with Jurassic as well, that when you had so many big characters that everybody loved, like you needed that time to be able to give them all that space. I mean, to have your legacy cast, but then also to have Chris and Bryce and all of those people that the younger generation love. It's like It feels like you're doing them an injustice if you compress it in that way.
0: So I felt, I guess you had a lot of like plates to spin on that particular film because you did bring in quite a lot of stuff and i think our policy on the podcast on runtimes is it needs to serve the story you know some stories cannot be told in 90 minutes and they have to be four hours long i'm not going to sort of campaign for lawrence of arabia to be cut down to under 90 minutes It's perfect as is but isn't it so good when you can like land the plane under 90 minutes long
1: absolutely i i'm i'm a real proponent of of Economical storytelling, and, and I it's, it's why I actually believe uh, even the extended cut of Dominion is actually a three hour movie done my way, which means it's twenty minutes shorter uh, than it than it otherwise might be. And, and I, I think that you know at times we tend to say the same idea several different ways in movies, and and not trust the audience to be able to to uh, process the story that we're telling uh, in, in an immediate way, and and stack up all of the information and and take it all the way uh you know to a, a really fulfilling experience experience and as you say, like 90 minutes. I think it's really interesting that, like, 90 minutes became a thing in the first place. Like, it's a very specific block of time. Uh, and that I think, even if you look at Screenplay structure. Uh, I do see how you know in in segments of like you know twenty five minutes. Uh, there's a first, second, and third act. Uh, Ninety minute movies tend to have shorter third acts at times. It seems uh, ours certainly did. But uh, it's amazing that you know over periods of time. It probably has to do with like how long like you know the bulb lasted or something in some projector long ago, and then it became what it is.
0: It's funny. Oh, yeah, it's all of, it is a lot of the dressing. I used to be a cinema projectionist back when films were projected largely from 35mm. And I think you could fit five reels in the box. And five, a reel is about 20 minutes long. And then you otherwise you have to get another box. And then you have to pay, you know, an extra fee from the courier agency and all that sort of stuff. So the economics must come into it in, in, in that respect, when it was distributed on the film anyway.
1: It does. And, and there's also the issue of showtimes during the day. Um, and, you know, before we had digital distribution, uh, there was there was the ability, I mean, there wasn't the ability to just add screens if a movie's doing really well and, and certain studios and franchises have the ability to do that more than others. Uh, but, you know, you can kind of just press a button and suddenly it's on in another theater. So the idea of, like, I can only fit in so many run times a day is a bit of a red herring for me.
0: Although I think um, on, we're recording this before James Cameron's new film opens, Avatar The Way of Water, and we've been told that the, uh, the drive is uh, over a terabyte of movie, um, because there's a 3D and a 2D version and all these sort of extra sort of formats, and it's a long film, you know. And there's going to be a lot of data on that file. Um, so uh, yeah, we're clearing out our servers at the moment to make sure there's room for the way of water.
1: <laughs> I just hope that the same thing doesn't happen to me that happened last time. I, I became one of those Avatar people who had to keep going like every day for a while, and I didn't like you know paint myself blue or anything, but I was just I was just short of it. I, I was <laughs> my son had just been born, and and there would be like you know right around four o'clock every day. Dad would kind of disappear. We lived in Burlington, Vermont, and I would go to... It's like, he just has to watch Avatar again. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> uh, I, I was definitely one of those people.
0: When you're making a movie, I guess you, there isn't really much time to see Wood for the Trees, but, but between films, do you, do you get to catch up on cinema going? Are you big film viewers?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I love to go to the cinema. I find it a really kind of almost like quite a sacred place I mean, it's one of those things that when you first move to a new city and then you go and you're like oh what can i do i'd love to go to cinema on like a saturday afternoon but yeah although i must admit i think the one disadvantage with things that's coming out of streaming is that sometimes there are some movies that i would love to see on the big screen that just aren't these days but i am liking that some of the streamers are starting to do that and kind of bringing in like oh we're gonna do a limited release on some films and then you can watch it on um your chosen platform later I have a
1: prediction of where that's going to, where that needs to go. I think that we just need to have, if you're going to be a streamer who makes a movie, release it in the theaters. If, if it feels like the right thing to do. And a lot of these movies are like, and then you get it exclusively afterwards uh, for, and the ancillary, Money is is massive. Like that's the that's the the lifeblood of a movie. It's it's uh, it's what makes something you know a, a long term investment for a studio. And the theatrical run of something is uh, it's deemed to be everything, but it's actually you know just its its introduction in a lot of ways. And so I just feel like we're very naturally heading toward a moment where uh, movies will you know, create cultural impact by existing in the movie theaters and and allow people to have an experience together. You know, a shared experience, which is kind of what reminds us that we're alive and part of a civilization and a society as it has you know since you know, plays began uh, we need drama and yet i also think that it's a completely natural and obvious you know business solution if you're netflix and you release a movie in theaters 45 days later you can only watch that on netflix i'm i'm sure though i'm sure ted has other ideas but it makes a lot of sense to me as a viewer
2: but i do think as well that is where the 90 minutes or less comes in because for me when i'm picking especially in the evening if you want to watch a film as soon as i start to see the kind of 2 two twenty, 2 30 i'm like oh i just kind of want that one hour 30 like i don't want to watch another episode of a tv show i do watch a lot of tv but it is nice to see that 82 minutes showing up and you're like oh yeah that is perfect
0: yeah, I'm not a big um, weekday night film watcher unless I go straight after work. So if I, I go to the cinema for like a 6.30, 7pm show, if it's when I get home, it's TV time. I don't really have time to put a film on unless it is under 90 minutes. You're doing go. the yeah. research for this podcast, exists I, on a weekday night. <laughs> it's psychological play, it's really true.
2: But it's weird, isn't it? Because for me, I was like I could then sit and watch two, three episodes of TV, but then for, it's almost like I feel I need to be more invested in the film, and I don't want to be distracted. Whereas there are certain shows where I'll be like, oh, I'll well, look at my phone if an email comes in, I can sort that out. Whereas for a movie, it's like if anybody picks up that mobile phone while this screen is viewing, it's like no, no, out the door.
0: I know you're both big film fans, and uh, and and when we when we sort of were talking about doing this episode, Colin, um, you know, we wanted to invite you back on the show. Um, you had a big film out, and and the pandemic had subsided, and like, okay, let's see what Colin wants to pick. And instead of picking a movie, you pick something else. So. How how did you approach this task? I I did. I, I picked a, a topic uh, and and I picked a list and so what
1: what I'd read this vulture article uh, by a bunch of pretty pretty good film journalists who, who teamed up to uh, they they call them the fifty two best movies under ninety minutes but let's just say that fifty two great movies under ninety minutes because I I don't like to declare the best of anything but they really are very good uh, and uh, to to see. Uh, The patterns in these movies I thought was really interesting to to go through and think about uh, how these stories were told, how efficiently they were told, why it is that a lot of them have remained indelible. And we go back to them again and again and again. Maybe that has something to do with how long it takes to watch them, uh, how, you know, how much information is given to us in a very short period of time. I I just thought it was kind of fascinating. So I brought this list uh, from from our. uh, friends at vulture to talk about uh maybe some of the patterns we see in these
0: movies so what we normally do on the podcast when someone picks a movie I'll, i maybe have a dvd copy of it and i'll read out the back of the box um there isn't a box uh, with an internet list but i do have the sort of top of their article the top piece of copy sort of encapsulates what they were going to do so i'll just sort of read that out now so listeners if you want to sort of Read along at home, I suppose. Uh, if you go to Vulture dot com and look for their fifty-two best movies under ninety minutes, name of their article, and it's written by uh, Jada Yuan, Kyle Buchanan, Nate Jones, and Kevin Lincoln. I think this is something they've sort of added to over the years as well, because uh, I think the URL is the ten best movies under ninety, oh. and I think they've just been sort of adding. Now they're up at fifty-two. I appreciate that. Um, I love that they're sort of keeping this thing alive. You know, very much kindred spirits.
1: I think it. It's also it's going to be obvious if anyone looks at the list that one of my films is on the list which and so obviously i was flattered and therefore love the list and
0: so i i think it's like let's just not you know let's be honest sure it's great to turn off your mind and immerse yourself in a three hour long orgy of cinematic excess but sometimes you just want a good story capably told that gets in and out less than 90 minutes after all you're a busy person with many responsibilities maybe you've only got a short window or maybe you're just trying to sneak in one more movie in a late night marathon whatever your motivation here are more than 50 brackets relatively brief films worth your limited time i found it to be very helpful (laughs) so they've listed the list in in sort of release year and it starts in 1931 and it goes all the way up to sort of 2020, um i believe I don't know, like how, was there anything when you were reading this uh, list column, was there anything that sort of stood out to you as either something you were like, I'm glad that's on the list or something, you know, you're like, oh, I must finally watch that film. There were movies that I I was surprised that were as short as they were, not because
1: they felt longer, but uh, just feel so epic in a lot. of ways. like Stand By Me is one of them. You know, Stand By Me is 89 minutes long and it, it you feel like you've you've seen an entire childhood you know for for four characters it's it's a movie that I, I really loved when i was young and uh and it's so you know emotionally full and rich and to to get to the end of that film and and feel like you've uh seen something that is you know the same length as you know airplane which feels short uh because it's a series of unbelievably hilarious jokes i found that to be surprising
0: I sort of like that they've gone back into cinema history, because doing this podcast, it does seem more often than not, a lot of films in the 30s and 40s are under 90 minutes long.
1: Yeah, I wasn't shocked that, like, Chaplin was in here. You know, City Lights feels like, okay, that's probably going to be short. Rashomon, another one. Like, Rashomon, actually, uh, 88 minutes long, uh, and to me, I I was positive that was a two-hour movie, Uh, just because, you know, you're telling multiple stories at the same time. I'm sorry, you know what I mean, just going back and and seeing uh, other perspectives on the same story. (laughs) The one that really popped to me is is that Dumbo is is an hour. yeah <laughs> uh, that that movie is not just a short film uh, but it's like literally a short film. Um, and I didn't realize, you know again, feels epic. Uh, you're you're taken on a on a full emotional journey. It uh, you know, starts as a baby that elephant. I, I don't know. I, I found it to be kind of amazing. They told that much story in in 64 minutes, as it says here.
2: I think also on top of Dumbo, it's the for me it was the Lion King and Toy Story. Because when I think about those films, I was like, if that was made today. I really don't believe that they'd have been under 90 minutes. No. Just, but yet they're so iconic. And you, when you watch it as a kid, you feel like it goes on forever. And then as an adult, you're like, wow. I can't believe it was that short.
1: That's interesting. The meaning of time to a child. Yeah. Uh, is I, It was saying here how most or every pre-1990s Disney movie is under 80 minutes. Bambi, Sleeping Beauty, Jungle Book all those movies, and that was probably Walt Disney having uh, an idea of how long a a child could sit and watch something.
2: That's probably why I love the 90-minute movies. (laughs) I am a 90s Disney child.
1: Rebecca and I uh, and some other folks from our company went and saw Totoro, My Neighbor Totoro, uh, but in
0: a live action.
2: Oh, cool. Yes, the play. Yeah, it was the RSC. Production.
1: Yeah, It's Barbican, beautiful, giant puppets. But it was it was long. I mean, it was a two hour and 45 minute. It was like going to Les Mis or something.
2: And it was kind of magical, really. I think I haven't been to a play recently where it's been so many kids in the audience and just their attention span. I mean, there's this little kid who's sitting in front of us who couldn't have been more than four, I think. And he was just animated the whole way through and i think that's just sometimes it reminds you like the beauty of art and with all these films it's just like how it can capture everybody and i think it just it gives you like this inner sense of like warmth and peace that i was like this is why like you love to make movies why you love to watch things because it's kind of it's it's art and it's beautiful so that's so cliche but you know what I mean
0: <laughs> well, you're telling a story in a really immersive way with filmmaking and in, in, in theater and it can't be replicated it's why so many people love it it's why I love it
2: I think it's when you see those films that you love like Studio Ghibli things coming to life on stage especially with the animation and you think oh I don't think how can you capture that same magic and then you see it and it's just oh the lighting and the the use of puppetry is um, phenomenal so definitely worth going to see
1: worth going to see, uh, i think completely sold the reason why we went on a thursday yeah is because <laughs> it's so sold out i could only get tickets on a work day in the middle of the afternoon oh, wow. a, i was going
2: to say i wasn't complaining that's my favorite type of work day yeah no, right. it, was it was a good work day for all
1: uh but the movie is only 86 minutes uh the show was two hours and f- two and a half, I guess, with a 15 minute break. So that's another hour of, of amazing uh, puppetry work, but not new story. It, it's kind of worth... I, I mean, I, you know, I've i seen the movie several times and there was nothing that was in the play that I didn't remember as being represented in the movie and yet it was an hour longer. So I think it's probably a good thing for for editors everywhere. Not that the play should have been shorter, but uh, the amount of... you know There was just this amazing amount of breathing time that existed in the play where you would just be immersed in the magic of what they were Showing you and uh, I could see about an hour of that existing you know, based on on what we watched, but uh, it was brilliant. It was amazing.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned Totoro. That was uh, that was one of the first films we ever covered on this podcast, and I was so pleased because I do think, and actually, maybe it's true with a lot of animation. Animation sort of thrives in that sort of shorter duration, maybe because so many of the Disney films we watched were sort of under that time. But I feel like because it takes so long to make an animation and before you even want to start production, you need to get your script sort of really locked down, really tight. That's the cheaper part of the the process there. And I do feel like the animations on here, they're all sort of iconic films. We've got Lion King, we've got Dumbo, we've got Totoro. Perfect films in my uh, sort of opinions there. And I think we're seeing, you know, the the fruits of of the craft. We're seeing, you know, really tight scripts, you know, brought to life and they they will not start drawing until they're happy with that script.
1: I, I get a little jealous of animated films a little envious because you know especially now the the process that pixar goes through you know they get to make the movie five times so it's actually in some ways you know the opposite that they get to make a movie and then they watch it and then they write a new movie and make that one and watch that one and then i mean this is a process that goes on for for several versions of the film until uh you found the the Best and clearest and most emotionally effective way to tell the same story that you—that uh, was a movie you watched three years earlier <laughs> of your own of your own making—and uh, I, you know, we can't do that. You know, we we have to go out and whatever we film on the day is what we got. Uh, sometimes you get you know you get to do reshoots or pickups or something, but and I've seen Marvel has has taken on. I mean, we we often you know probably look at you know a, a reshoot they call it that but like additional photography that is scheduled uh into a film you know for for many many weeks the reason why they do that is they're they're adopting the pixar process they realize that look like we can go shoot a film you, you know, if we get 80% of it of and it feels like, you know, the, the most completely realized version of what we wanted to do, uh, being able to go back in and do that other 20% is just the gift that animated movies have. And it's the reason why I think a lot of them are so perfect.
0: It just feels like sensible filmmaking as well. Like from a business level, it sort of makes sense to, to sort of factor that in. And with the animated films, you know, to watch the, the sort of rough versions again and again and again until you're really happy before you get the big actors in and you do all of the more expensive bits of the job.
1: Yeah, I miss the I miss the sloppiness of of movies a little <laughs> bit, but
0: like, I, I, yeah, you know, it's something I I pride
1: myself in in the sloppiness of my movie, my my own movies. Sometimes I feel like there's a, you know, the the fact that we've we've gone on to to make films that way and just kind of you know be able to continue to hone them and continue to reshoot and turn out this perfect. Uh, I don't want to say product because it sounds derogatory, but, you know, something that it, that an audience, uh, when tested, is is going to find absolutely nothing about uh, that they find uh, distasteful or, or makes them uncomfortable that they don't like.
2: Although the one thing that I would say, like working with you on Jurassic that I really kind of loved to watch and see was how you'd work with all the concept artists and then how you'd design and then draw them and then you'd go back and then you'd change things and then you'd tweak them. And I think from an outside perspective, viewing that process and kind of seeing the way that changes like your creative outlook or like how you want to direct a scene and I think that in itself it's almost capturing some of that element of animation of how they work and it's it's really cool to see
0: part of the I imagine anyway sort of part of the sort of art of filmmaking is also seeing what's good on the day and like I didn't plan for this but we've got amazing light here we should shoot this scene here and and that's 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 the joy as a new audience again you know it's often. You know, those moments which stand out for uh, for a viewer, I, I guess you must have a you know a, a few examples of that uh, from your work. Colin. I <laughs> do. I, I found them to like less. You know, in this
1: movie we were talking about in Dominion, that that's actually a good example of. What the a lot of the fourteen minutes were comprised of uh, is those things that are kind of ephemeral that that feel like well I can't why is this in a movie like you know this this feels like a thing that would really happen but it just doesn't feel like carefully designed and uh, those are the moments that I think bring movies to life uh, in a lot of ways uh, and so I think that what what impresses me a lot about you know these movies is is that. Um, they don't feel manufactured, you know. They don't. They don't feel like like oh, trimmed down to within an inch of their life. They feel like this is their natural, uh, this is their natural body shape. This is their resting form, and and it's something that I, I really appreciate about pretty much all of them.
0: Yeah, I'm sort of on the page of, of '80s movies on this list in sort of the order, and and a lot of these feel like, I uh, you know you sort of heard maybe stories behind the scenes. The films that did shoot a lot more material, um, like this is Final Tap, a lot of improvisation on that one. Evil Dead and an airplane, but you know what we're seeing is sort of the cream of of of, of that uh, that production. And uh, I guess you know with airplane, they're shooting so many sketches, lots of funny stuff, but they just want to put the best eighty minutes.
1: Well, that movie also doesn't have a traditional story structure, and so I think the human brain, when at this point in in our the history of our relationship with cinema, if you're if you're given a movie that does not have the structure that is not Turning at the points that you're you're you instinctively know that it should turn, uh, that you can get a little restless uh, at times, and so I think sometimes you know documentaries, found footage movies, and uh, and then mock documentaries, you know like that or like Waiting for Guffman, Best in Show, like those are all pretty short movies to my memory, and uh, I think there's a reason why is that you're just you're not being taken on that same kind of journey
0: i love going to see things at the cinema and i really love talking to my friends on the way out and and it's so nice when the film leaves you wanting more however long the film actually is and and like being surprised by the end of the film like oh we're here already that's like one of my favorite feelings and there's so many films on this list where i'm like oh it's the ending okay <laughs> i want to go can i go in again
1: yeah i what amazes me is is how uh, loose so many of them felt i uh, there's a zombie lands one of them and it notes here, uh, the, the writer said that, the, you know, it even has time for an extended stay at Bill Murray's house. And I remember watching that and just feeling like this feels like a hangout movie. This is like, you know, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where we just get to, like, live in this for a long time. And it was 88 minutes. I love you, Bill. I love you. Thank you. You are staring at me. It's a hairpiece. It's, it's a deal. I'm
2: sorry. No, it's just that you look remarkably like Eddie Van Halen.
1: I just saw Eddie Van Halen.
0: No.
2: Really?
1: Yeah. Wow. Warrior, the
2: Hollywood Bowl. And how was it? He's a
0: zombie. Oh, it's it's a break. When you see your own movies in a list, Colin, does that make you sort of curious? Like, do you, how do you engage with sort of the, you know, the list culture? Film fans seem to love a list.
1: Sure. Well, it doesn't happen all the time. And it's also not always the kind of list that you want to be on. Uh, and so when, but when uh, it's something like this, first of all, uh, thank you. I'm very, you know everyone who made safety Not guaranteed uh out in the woods when uh we were very young with a, a video camera and and well under a million dollars uh thanks you um and i i think that that movie um working at it's very tight 86 minutes which is probably 4 minutes of credits so you're looking at you know 82 i think that it's it's a movie that actually ends before you naturally feel it's going to end and purposefully So when the the time machine disappears, I'm sorry if you haven't seen it, but um, when when that moment happens and and our characters go back in time, uh, part of the design of the movie was for you to be because of you've seen so many films, you you don't feel like this is going to be the end based on where you are in the third act. Uh, And it actually cuts the third act short uh, and startles you and then it's just over. And I think uh, part of the reason why the movie works uh, is because of how short it is.
0: Our screening, I remember um, the response when when you know the finale happens, and hearing that amazing music as well during that scene, um, it's really powerful. And then we be asked to go on stage straight after to start talking. And I was like, I'm too, I'm just, a, I need a minute. Oh, thank you.
1: I uh, was just talking to the composer of it because we're, we're working on a, a Ryan Miller because uh, we're working on on something together, and we just was reminded how how that music uh, changes over the course of the movie, and in in I think a really effective way. It starts off be, feeling, you know, kind of. Jangly twee folk, you know indie rock, uh, and it turns into like a John Williams theme uh, by the time you get to the end. And it has you know, the same set of instruments and and you know uh, that we had we did a lot of it in Burlington, Vermont, some of it in a barn. Uh, it really is that kind of story. Uh, but to, to have that kind of emotion of like, oh, oh, my God, like magic is possible. And, you know, time travel is real. Uh, come out of something that um, was, was so small uh, and, and definitely, you know, had, had all the best intentions behind it. And most movies do, but that one especially.
0: Is there anything on this list, uh, Rebecca, that picks up to you? Yeah,
2: I must admit the one that did stand out to me was Run Lola Run. I do remember that that was actually one of the ones when I was at university that everyone was like, you have to watch, you have to watch. And I remember watching it at the time and I enjoyed it. But I think looking back, I can appreciate just like how defining it was terms of like also just like how much it tells you in terms of like structure and story and everything that you want to do and i think particularly now as a creative exec when you're reading lots of different scripts and seeing how people are doing things when you can reference back to some of these films it's such a kind of nice way of being like oh yeah that really worked and like i see how that happens
1: i like lists that are a celebration i don't Always. like worst lists i don't like best and worst lists uh <laughs> no. I, I, I uh I, I think this the reason why i gravitated to this was was that it in a lot of ways feels like a, a celebration of cinematic history uh put into a certain column and uh there's you know i haven't seen every single movie on it and we both kind of looked at each other with a little bit of of, of shame uh, as people who love movies having missed certain uh films on the list because they're all great every one of them that i have seen is great
2: and i think also one of the I think one of my pet peeves or one of the biggest things is that there are so many different audiences for movies and it's like I will stand by that one of the greatest films of all times is Mean Girls but yeah. it, but it is it's fantastic it's a cult classic and yet I'm sure some people will watch it and just think oh you know just another teen movie but obviously we all know it's so much more than that um but I think that's why you always, worst. that's why I agree, worst lists just aren't where it's at because it's like, maybe it was your worst movie, but actually there's a whole load of people out there that love this type of movie and it's, you know, celebrate it. You don't like it. You don't have to
0: see it. I think film culture really thrives on recommendations. Mm-hmm. And I think list articles are the best ones. You know, it's like, yeah. it's just a load of recommendations. It's like I, I sat down with a friend and they just downloaded all of the great films they've seen in a year. I, I want recommendations. I'm a little magpie just going between people and like, oh, someone said this is good. I'll buy the DVD. I'll pick it up. Um, and that's how I, you know, that's how I decide what to watch, really. And and I think a good list will make me go and buy, you know, half of the DVDs on it. And, and that'll be my viewing for the next month or two.
2: 100%, because sometimes I feel that like you can get a bit overwhelmed as well, when you go on to, and you're like, oh, what do I watch today? And there's just so much there that then I'm like, oh, such a buddy re- recommended this. I'm gonna do do that.
1: I find also for parents uh, looking, you know, I, I did one of one of the only other podcasts I did this year was my favorite movies uh, for kids in order that they should be shown. So oh, yes. remember, yeah, that, one I remember is, that one is. I, I think that you know, for parents to be able to to have a place where they can go, if you if you if you stick to that list, if you do that. Uh, I think your kid's going to be a good person. I want to believe it because movies make people, uh, they kind of teach us how to be a
0: little bit. In that case, it's, you know, you're sort of seeing certain values in certain films and like, okay, I can see this would be a good film to, you know, explore this or, you know, for them to see an example of this and especially with kids films, it's sort of, a lot of them are new. So recommendations from other parents in that situation is great. Someone's done the research for you. <laughs> uh,
1: fantastic Mr. Fox is on this list. Uh, and that's, that's a great children's film. Amazing it's 87 minutes because 10 minutes of it is just animals digging in different directions. And yet it still uh, feels epic and uh, complete.
0: So many of the films on this list we've we've covered on on our podcast, and I would love to know if anyone at the Vulture offices is a is a fan of of the podcast. I'm certainly a fan of them, but yeah, I think half of them we've covered, and, and yeah, Fantastic Mr. Fox was was one we covered. I think it was our last in person recording uh, with a great writer called Joe Barton, um, just uh, just before the pandemic. Um, uh, there, but he said that was a film that he showed his kids, and it's a film. You, I think when you're a parent, you might have to watch certain films a lot, um, and, and that is one that his kids have watched hundreds of times, and he was like, "But I don't mind." A lot of other films I've had to watch with my kids, I do mind. <laughs> but this one is great, and it, and it was just something that he, he knew every single line when we were talking. Like he could quote it.
2: Don't buy this tree, Foxy. You're borrowing at nine and a half with no fixed rate, plus moving into the most dangerous neighborhood in the country for someone of your type of species. You're exaggerating, Badger. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sugarcoating it, man. This is Bogus Bunce, and Bean, three of the meanest, nastiest, ugliest farmers in the history of this valley.
1: There's a film on here that uh, I haven't seen that shocks me. You know, it's a pot movie, it's a weed movie, made in the early 2000s, and I'm not someone who was unfamiliar with weed in the early 2000s, and yet I haven't seen Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. And for any, i like for any American uh, who had just come out of college uh, in the early part of of this uh, millennia. Uh, to have not seen that movie feels uh, completely wrong, and I, and I, I can't believe that it it got past me.
0: No one has picked it for the podcast, and and I've not watched it in my in my personal time. But it's eighty eight minutes long.
1: I don't know if it translates. It's a very specific. It's a very American movie. Do you know what White Castle is? It's a burger. It's a burger chain? place. Yeah.
0: Uh, I've never been to one.
1: I hadn't. I well, because I yeah I come from the West Coast and we don't have it out there. Uh, and it's a very East Coast uh, and it's just like a very plain patty on like a like a biscuit and like it's well that biscuit is a cookie here I guess. But uh, see, I, you know. so it's
2: not it's not a burger on a cookie. Just to it's try not a burger on it. a cookie. Like
1: <laughs> go in there, try it out. Uh, but part of the reason why I, I imagine that it's it's the kind of thing you know it's stoner food. It's like the only place that's open late, and you're going to want to get a White Castle burger. Uh, and I'm sure it's great. And I apologize to the filmmakers and I'm going to go watch it right away. That's the only one on here that I'm going to admit I haven't seen. There's all these like, you know, amazing foreign films that I'm not going to admit to having not seen. But I'll apologize to uh, to those guys.
0: You were pleased to see um, Run, Lola, Run uh, on here, Rebecca. But is there anything, you know, that is, is going to be on your to watch list?
2: I haven't actually seen Elephant and that is one that I do want to see. And I remember it. I remember seeing trailers for it at the time. That is maybe that, maybe that will be a weekend watch.
1: Uh, intense watch. Mm. It's not about an elephant. Uh,
2: I I know it's... I know.
1: <laughs> I, 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 I might not have seen
2: well, it. We I'm well versed. Um, right. I. But you know, sometimes you want a you, you kind of want a movie that gets you in the feel slightly. Yeah. Do you know what I mean?
0: Well, that was one when we were printing. I was printing the list off in, in the office, and, and a, another a fellow colleague, uh, film obsessed like me, came over and was like, "No way is Elephant under 90 minutes because you know it's it, it's a big film in, in the emotional response." Um, but hey, it is. Mm-hmm.
2: And I don't know about you. I think sometimes when you have like an emotional film, it really it it's almost like a form of therapy where it makes you kind of contemplate and look at things and look at life and.
1: Yep, I um, I love. I think Borat was is, is brilliant, and uh, you have that start. It so means you haven't done a Borat. Episode. I haven't done a Borat episode yet. Okay, well, that's that's gotta. Uh, but, but it's, it's like so classic. good, right? Like I still one... laugh. I still laugh. I was driving down the street in LA and saw saw a uh, just you know a woman having a garage sale out front and remembering that seal I will look upon your wares but, but I will not buy
0: <laughs> sorry I, I watched that one at the cinema maybe like four times because it kept I mean I, that's where under 90 minute helps because like I, I watched it four times but I only spent you know like three hours doing that it was great I had such a good time with that film and and I do think like I guess a lot of the comedies that we we can quote is because we've watched them a lot and when that comedy is under 90 minutes I'm more likely to watch you again and again and again rather than if you were if you had an hour onto that maybe I would only watch it once or twice
1: I will say something that, that kind of fascinated me about this is that my experience on uh, on the last Jurassic movie was that the longer version felt shorter to me and, and I've I, enough people have seen it and, and said that now uh, that I you know, I can say it out loud on a podcast and not feel like anyone's going to make fun of me. And I, I'm fascinated by that. Is that what is it about the alchemy of a movie, about the rhythm of a movie? And, and my issue, um, you know, with with the the version that we released, uh, even though I'm of course very you know very proud of of everything we did, uh, is that I felt like you know the 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 EKG, the heartbeat was off a little bit. Like there was just there were certain things about it that didn't feel like uh, it was it was drawing me forward in a natural way. And when the the originally intended transitions uh specifically were were back in the movie i i found it to to move at a totally different pace and so when you compare that to something that is that is really short uh, i'm sure the transitions are are super effective you know in these movies uh and yet they don't feel uh they don't feel short i think that's what
0: amazes me if the story warrants you know that sort of three hour runtime you know it's being told by a, a you know great filmmaker great storyteller it should leave it should fly by and it should leave you wanting more and so many times like recently i watched a, there's a new film coming out called tar starring Kate blanchett two hours and 40 and i think some of the sort of critics are saying it's really good it's really long it's not that long um but uh but i loved it and when it ended i was like oh we're here already that was insane that, that felt like i blinked
2: interesting on the flip i, I recently saw causeway that and I, that isn't actually that long and i must admit that for me was the perfect length for that movie because i felt like it was so still and very poignant and intense at times but by keeping it shorter it meant that you didn't start to be like oh okay i need to leave do you know what i mean that type of element
1: i think you can build a short movie on purpose uh just in its construction the only movie that i even thought about what the running time would be that i've ever made was this last one because we had so much to do and you know in one movie and initially i i'd wanted to make two movies and so we really had two movies worth of story that we had to pack into one film and, and I th- I do think you felt it to a certain extent but uh, there isn't a two movie version out there. That, that one's not possible. Uh, but I do think uh, you know I, I just I wrote something this fall. I wrote uh, a movie for a friend of mine to direct and uh, I, I haven't written alone for a very long time so I got back into I, I've always written with other people and, uh, and it's a romantic comedy and so uh, Rebecca and I would talk about romantic comedies all the time and watch tons of them and Uh, love
2: a rom-com she loves a rom-com i know i'm a cliche but i have no shame (laughs) i'm a cliche
1: too we both love mean girls
2: mean girls musicals rom-coms
1: yep now we have very very similar tastes uh and but in in studying a little bit why the classic romantic comedies they're all short They all have a lot of things in common, the ones that really work for us, but uh, brevity is one of them, and I know that's what we're here to talk about. And so uh, in in writing that uh, script, I I made sure to keep it short. I I really designed an almost, you know, maybe an hour 40 kind of film because I I think that's what, you know, in in this day and age, you're kind of, you're on Netflix. It's Saturday night. It's an event. She's mentioned this often.
2: I do. I Sometimes I'm a broken record.
1: What does it look like? It's Saturday night. It's you and your flatmate.
2: Yeah. And then it's like, it, also, I think it's a time thing because, you know, the closer you get to 30, the earlier you want to go to bed. And then it's like, so...
1: <laughs> Where does that leave
2: me? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but you know, it's sort of like nine eight 9pm. And then you're thinking, oh, okay, what time? Hour, hour 40. Everyone's got dinner. Dinner's made, sitting down. And then occasionally if we're feeling, you know, like really going to flash the cash, maybe we'll... Uh, rent a film yeah i know yeah i do you rented last yeah, I, I was really impressed that was an expensive w- rental it wasn't it's expe- oh, the um death in not sorry not death in paradise ticket to paradise <laughs> that's a different different <laughs> different, different concept yeah and um, yeah and it was it was great and uh, but i think there is an element with rom-coms where there's almost like an audience acceptance like i don't need to see how you got from a to b but I accept that they got there in a way that I think in sometimes like in action movies and maybe more intense dramas. You're like, yeah, but how is it? Oh, well that's unrealistic. But with rom-coms, there's an element of magic. Like it's, there's an element of aspiration to rom-coms, isn't there?
1: There, there is. I I, I do. I agree with that. Something you said really early on as we were, developing this thing that like you don't have to do the action movie of like we got to go to the thing to get the thing and here's why it doesn't work and we got to turn it on all that stuff goes away and you also don't have a traditional antagonist you usually don't have a villain uh in these movies and i had a kind of a villain that we ended up pulling back on because we realized you know we actually don't need this guy like the, the villain is whether this relationship's going to work or not
2: yeah and it's seeing the vulnerability in characters isn't it and i think that when you see that side and then it's like the will they they won't they and then i think within that everybody sees a tiny bit of themselves in one of those characters whether it's in the a plot or the b plot like there it's there and then that's what makes it so real when you watch it and why you can escape into it in that way and why we all have these rom-coms that we love and we go back to year after year after year because we see a tiny bit of ourselves in that it's gonna turn into a rom-com podcast with I us. Am. sorry, I'm, sorry. I'm, all,
0: <laughs> I'm all for all for rom-coms but um but so many of them are are not under 90 minutes mm-hmm. long it's uh it's a big frustration for me as a so yeah my favorite genre is musicals i love them rom-coms love them a lot of those are are are, are over though um we'll have to a i separate think they're podcast. actually the, most rom-coms are 90 minutes plus montages Because there's always, there's a good like (laughs) seven,
1: eight minutes of montage, which are necessary uh, in a lot of them. Hello, I'm Martin. I'm Sam. And every week we get together on our podcast, Song by Song, to
0: discuss the music of Tom Waits. Uh, Waits is a writer, musician, and performer. Uh, You might know him from his four decades of songs, like uh, What's He Building in There, Downtown Train, Martha, "Rain Dogs,"
1: Or you might have seen him in films like Dracula, uh, The Fisher
0: King, Mm The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, or, if you made it that far, licorice pizza. We're joined every week by guests from various backgrounds and disciplines, and together we take a close listen to his work, analysing the topics and tones he uses in his music, and honestly engaging with one of the most interesting voices of his generation.
1: Listen to our latest season or dive into our back catalogue by visiting songbysongpodcast.com or search for Song by Song in your podcast of choice. There were a couple of movies that I found to, that I assume were going to be on here that weren't. Um, that are some of my favorite movies, and my usually you know, whenever I do a a podcaster, like I usually assume to hear like all the you know Raiders of the Lost Ark, Come Back to the Future, and all the movies that we know we love in the past. 10 or to 15 20 years um, the movies that I love the most have often been very small and I don't know if that's a just like a natural um, response to to the you know huge architecture that I, I have to do in these screenplays and the heavy lifting of it all that uh, and two of them are they're actually like 95 minutes long but we're gonna we're gonna break the rules one of them is chuck and Buck which was hugely uh, inspiring to me um, and the, the movie it, it was one of those movies that made me almost you know, kind Of blew my mind. It's like, oh, this is possible. You can make a movie that's like this. Oh, so, uh, and it really inspired Safe Night Guarantee. It was one of Mike White's early movies. Uh, another one which I talk about constantly is Brigsby Bear. Have you seen that movie? Oh, I love Brigsby Bear. I love that movie. I love it. Have you seen it yet? No, no I haven't okay, seen it. Okay, so now it's, that's the new assignment. That movie is uh, an all-timer for me.
0: I think that might actually be 90 minutes. That could be one we could cover on the podcast. I checked it before I came in. It's like 95 or something. Oh, it's just okay. over. It's, I did. Uh... I, 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 uh,
1: and, and also, the third one uh, was. Uh, Mike Birbiglia's movie. Uh, there's one of uh, his movies is on here, but it's a different one uh, called "Don't Think Twice," uh, about an improv group uh, in in uh, New York City. Who one of them has is going to get on Saturday Night Live, and the other ones are all kind of realizing they're not going to make it. Uh, and it's it's just about uh, you know the the dream meeting reality at a certain point when and also like on an even you know more challenging level is that oftentimes uh creative people will come up in groups and and there's this feeling amongst all of you that like we're all gonna make it we're all gonna be successful and then uh that's just not the way the world works and and people uh start to fall off and uh not not in the in the way we use that term now, but like literally, like leave New York or LA and, and you know move somewhere else and and have different lives because like they can't they just kind of can't take the 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 heartbreak of it all and uh, it's tough when that happens in friend groups.
0: On our list, is there something that uh, that we haven't covered yet that you'd like to recommend to our listeners? If you're like guys, it's the holidays. I could recommend you check this out. Off of this list.
1: Um, Shiva Baby was great. I mean, look, it's. I, I'd recommend. Uh, I'd recommend going on here. So this is what our our podcast is about. Uh, check this list out and see if there's anything you haven't seen. Uh, and just know that when you do, it's not going to take up too much of your day.
2: It's got to be if you haven't seen it. Amor at Christmas, The Nightmare Before Christmas.
1: Oh, that's a good one. My two recommendations for the year. My favorite movies this year. Um, Marcel the Shell, uh, which probably is ninety. It, it minutes. is under ninety minutes. Okay, yeah, no, that's a great film. Uh, truly great film. And another truly great film, Rescue Rangers, Chip and Dale, uh, uh, yeah. is an amazing uh, piece of comedy and an amazing piece of storytelling that should have been in the movie theaters. And I'm very frustrated that it wasn't because you're naturally going to sleep on it. Uh, you, not everybody has Disney Plus. And that was, if, if anything, this year could have been released in theaters. It should have been that one. Well, seeing that
0: film with a crowd and the response it would have got would have been so much fun.
1: It would have been amazing. It's really hard for comedies, it's hard for comedy filmmakers. I was spent a lot of time with Judd Apatow this year because he made a movie that was making fun of our movie. And so we hung out a little bit and, and, uh, and, uh, and he was actually shooting it near my house uh, here in England. So I could see the lights of the set of making a movie about our experience. And, uh, and one of the things he said that, I, that was really striking to me was was that when he makes comedies now, uh, you know, he's he's made his past few movies for for Netflix or you know for streaming, and he doesn't have the ability to to hear the rhythm of the movie by by playing it for an audience, uh, and and that's what you know comedy relies on on everybody you know agreeing that something was surprising at the same time, and everyone everyone having that laugh in those moments, and and you design the movie based on listening uh, to the response, and so to not be able to uh, this was during COVID, so we couldn't test movies, and uh, and then even when it comes to Netflix, like you know, to watching something alone at home as opposed to going to a theater, like I remember doing when we saw like something about Mary in New York City, you know, in late '90s or whenever that movie came out, like it was out of control. Like the theater was just insane. Uh, during that movie and I haven't had an experience like that with a comedy and I mean maybe since Borat
2: although that is possibly your English movie viewing experience versus American oh viewing. yeah I, Colin okay. will yeah. Consist- he's like the crowds are so loud and I remember one time you're like everybody okay give some give energy like respond yeah and I thought I did really well I like I did a couple like
0: you were
1: good woos. and
2: then afterwards everyone was like it was so quiet and I was like so, oh I get was- so
1: frustrated <laughs> I you know I, lo- I love living here I love the British people I-, I don't know when everyone became so polite when it comes to to, because then you go to a pantomime and it's it's just bananas in there. But when we go to a theater, we're all very very quiet. And then uh, even with Totoro yesterday, I found it to be like silence. And then at the end, everyone you know explodes and and was like, this is the best thing. But like, why didn't I hear that along the way? And, and you know, I I grew up in Oakland, California. And and for any uh, anyone from England who who doesn't know, that's probably you know, Oakland might be the heart of, of interactive audience participation when it comes to going to a movie. And so I. I just was used to people just yelling at the screen and and just telling people what they should or shouldn't do. Uh, I mean, characters, what they what they should or shouldn't do. And so to come here and have everyone sit. I don't know. Like, I, I hope that we can we can get a little more rowdy.
0: I I like a well-placed whoop. Not every film needs a whoop, but sometimes, especially during a comedy or or something, I saw Glass Onion recently at the cinema, and and that's a funny film, and I'm glad I got to see it with a crowd. I'd love to go see it in the
1: cinema, but it's not available. Thanks, Netflix. That's true. (laughs) Uh, They took it out. They put it in the theater for like six days, and Mm. then they took it out.
2: I do like a loud cackle. I am like, I'll either say, I'll show no emotion and be like, oh, that's really funny, and I really will find it funny, or I'll laugh really loudly. And so I feel like, but then it's really awkward when you're on a plane. Yeah. And you're just like there laughing. I remember sitting next to a friend once on a flight and she's like, Can you not? Oh, yeah. And then maybe that's why we're so quiet in cinemas because your friends will tell you, be like, Stop being embarrassing.
1: Maybe. I wanted to like stand out. Like when Totoro showed up, I was like, Totoro! <laughs> I, like, I wanted to stand right up and get crazy about it. One of my favorite movie watching experiences ever. It was what it was of my own film, but I'll you'll you'll see okay. why when I tell you. No, 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 you'll see why. <laughs> uh, we were every time uh, when I mix a movie at Skywalker, we always will do a screening of the movie for just everybody around and you know, some friends and people from ILM, a week in advance.
2: Also, Skywalker, the most magical place on yes. the planet.
1: Incredible. So uh, Skywalker Ranch is in San Francisco, and it's where you know George Lucas's uh, sound design studio and up in the mountains. And so when we and I've mixed all of my movies there, even Safety Not Guaranteed, even the first one. um, Very George is great at at making it possible for you know filmmakers without resources to be able to come in. He had kind of a program to make sure that Ryan Coogler, uh, who mixed Fruitvale Station, which is on this list, Mm, uh, was there at the same time. He was mixing Creed, if I remember that right, and he brought his whole family. To come and see Jurassic World when we showed it to everybody the week before, and they took up a whole row, everyone from Oakland, and and uh, it was an amazing. People were having a blast, and, and you know this is the first movie. And when the T Rex comes out, uh, Ryan just stands up and starts yelling T Rex, T Rex. He was so excited, it was like a little kid, and 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 it was just like infectious. And uh, so I I don't know if every screening around the, around <laughs> the world was like that, but that was the best one I ever saw.
0: <laughs> I think I saw that film with some children you know and, and there's nothing more exciting for a, than a child you know for a child to see a dinosaur on screen and I was just sort of vibing off of uh, the energy of the younger people in the audience and I guess deep down you know I grew up watching the original Jurassic film so I, I was feeling that too but being British I was.
2: I I, I think I found that especially like having sat through with the edit process on Dominion with you and then being able to go in and watch the film with other audiences and things that I was like, I'm sure that's funny. And then hearing audiences laugh and be like, oh, yeah, no, that really. It actually was funny. It it was funny. It was like what
1: Appetite was saying. It's it's just we we didn't get. That uh, because we didn't weren't able to test that movie in a traditional way, so we had to. I remember, God, it was it was kind of a nightmare. Like you had uh, these audiences of maybe like twenty. We only tested it twice, but. Twenty-five people spread out from each other with masks on. In in like also Arizona. kind
2: of like industry execs as well. So it wasn't yeah, like kind of a true. Yeah, peppered in there.
1: and but there was like you didn't get the ability to feel the energy, to feel the rhythm of the movie. You know, pulling audiences along, and so uh, you know they'd stand up, sort of looking at it in a, in a more intellectual way. But movies aren't an intellectual experience; they're an emotional experience. And uh, I I think that you know the ability to to let you know, a crowd feed off of each other and like generate uh you know, give the movie a life
0: unto itself is is something that I that I miss. The last public screening I went to like that was The Raid. Um uh, such a Gareth Evans movie and um you know like it's really surprising (laughs) and it's it's so exciting. And and I went to I think the first time I saw it was a press screening, which can be quite dry, you know, because everyone's got their notepads out and you know being being very serious. And as soon as the first person cracked, you know, there was a awesome thing. Then everybody was doing, and that, that was like a really electric screening. Like my favorite sort of memory of that type of thing. And then, and then I went to a late night screening at my local cinema, the Ritzy in Brixton, and the crowd was like that, but times ten. Good, you know, and that was that was amazing. So I'm more films like Brickson. that, please. Uh,
1: that's definitely on the list of of. I, I have my own list of like movies that, if I showed them to my son, my wife would kill me. And that's <laughs> like that list has existed for a while, and and I'm slowly ticking off. Now he's he's going to be he's 13 now, so we're finally getting into it, but. That's on there. It's it's still probably not okay.
0: So what we like to do uh, towards the end of our podcast is sort of ask about, uh, you know, we're a film festival. There's too many films, I think, on here to pick just one. But if we were to put on a, a screening, uh, Rebecca and Colin Presents, um, you know, have you got your sort of uh, ideal, you know, sort of idea of a venue? Do you like to go to like a big multiplex, a small independent, somewhere in between? Um, you know, where where would your fantasy screening be?
1: We'd probably go to the picture house, right? I mean, that's... Obviously the picture house. do we love the picture house. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh,
2: <laughs> um. In Venice, like my first job, my very first job in the industry was actually at a film festival. So I worked for Encounters Film Festival. Oh, nice. Yeah. And so I have a love of short film. And to me, so that was always at the Watershed in Bristol. And I love that type of cinema for a festival because it's got a real warm, you kind of walk in, it's like very collaborative. It feels arty, but everybody talks, like you sit in, it feels a little bit homey, but also very cinemary. And I like that for a festival. I, I like it to feel like you're getting that first look like that, that kind of like look into something that's a bit more exclusive that it's creative that you're in a room with other people that are there just because they love cinema not because they're bored or someone says they should come see it and um so that that's what i like in a festival
1: i'm kind of in i'm in need of a theater like i'm looking for one because it, i live out in the country a little bit i i, should, that, I don't live in the country right i live in the I
2: mean...
1: It's not because it, the country's like ours. People well, no, you live
2: in the country.
1: I live in a home county, don't I? Y- y-
2: you live on the other side of the M25. Oh, wow. Well, I know You're miles. In the
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we live out, we live beyond Pinewood, you know, further west than that. And, and so uh, I don't really have like the. The multiplex that we go to, uh, but it's, you know, it's a multiplex. And I, I don't have like the theater. Uh, and there's one in a town near us that has the, you know, they serve you food in it, which I've always, it's not I for I worked
2: me. in one of those. No. I was an awful waitress.
1: I'd love to find a place that feels like the Grand Lake Theater in Oakland, California. And I never will. and so I'm-
0: Don't give
2: up. Although I am a big fan of IMAX. I do love watching films in that experience if they're made for IMAX.
1: Yeah, but you got to come all the way here to do it there's no well, IMAX out i, by I mean i live in london so yeah you're I, I, I right. right. <laughs> easy for you
0: yeah there aren't too many outside um because avatars coming out and, and people are very much you know wanting to see a big screen i'm getting lots of texts from friends who don't really live near an imax and like trying to like match them up with their nearest theater
2: but it's because i remember i think it was always on the blu-ray in like the additional scenes and i remember there was this point in the second hunger games films and when they talk about showing the difference when they she comes up into the world and they switch to the camera and how you can change you can see the difference where it switches from Iman's camera to the previous and like I love that and I was like if you when you can see that on a screen I was like that is like the love of cinema when you can like everyone's like oh stop talking about it you talk about it all the time <laughs> but,
1: but- uh, yeah uh, the aspect ratio change thing is something that, that used to bother me and now it actually doesn't like now it's become part of cinematic language I think just because of I was on a plane and I was I watched Top Gun on the plane and, and the aspect ratio change changed in Top Gun uh, when they went into the IMAX and you're just you know I, it, it's not necessary you know to do that but it's I think it's actually kind of cool that it still happens
2: uh, it's a statement in itself really, yeah, isn't it like it's I'm like- kind of into
1: it now
0: I really like it I think there's like some filmmakers use it um, in, in sort of different ways like when Christopher Nolan does it that's a technical thing He switched to the full frame IMAX cameras and on the Blu-rays for Dark Knight and uh, it does that too and that's great because the footage suddenly gets so much crisper as well because it's at higher resolution and then other filmmakers like Wes Anderson sort of knowingly play with it within the frame um, and I work in a cinema as well and I always love that when the DCPs of Wes Anderson films arrived they're like it's a scope movie but play it in a flat frame because he's also going to do 133 and 166 and this and this and this and you sort of need to give him that canvas to move the frame around, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm I, yeah, I, I really like it when people do that. Let's keep doing that. <laughs> Let's keep doing it. Uh, and if um in your in your sort of fantasy cinema, is there like a go-to snack if you were going to invite people on? You've curated, say, a double bill or something. You're like, okay, guys, and we are going to have the best cinema snack or drink. My personal favourite, which might be. Uh, you know something, something of your of your choosing. I'm a, I'm very much if it's a daytime screening, I'll have a coffee. Evening screening, I'll have a beer. That's like my, my sort of thing. I don't like anything too loud.
2: Oh, I'm with you. I actually really controversial. I hate sitting next to people eating popcorn in the cinema. Yeah. It drives me mad again. Probably because <laughs> <Noted. laughs> uh. <laughs> probably again with the sound. I was like, I like a quiet cinema. No, um, what do I? I'm also daytime. I'll always drink a coffee.
1: Yeah, that's very British. I don't, like we didn't, yeah, like you, because they didn't serve coffee in the theaters, I guess. This is when I was younger, but I love food so much and I love movies so much that I I, I really don't cross those streams very often.
2: For me, it would be like total opposites either, some overpriced chopped fruit from, do you know that's what so I mean? Specific. Like, you know what it's like, because it's a treat. So it's like, oh, I'm going to the cinema or, oh, I was going to say M&M's, but they're, they're really loud. Some kind of like chocolatey or like a Reese's peanut butter cup.
1: Do they have Whoppers here? that's an american one is not that whoppers are like i remember if if i'm going to actually claim one when i was younger um there's all these things that are like on a long list of reasons why i was like never thin and whoppers is one of them uh and, and uh they're they're kind of like malt uh they're like malted something uh but they kind of like slowly melt in your mouth in this really satisfying way uh but i haven't seen them around here Um, Yeah, American Candy, I I find it um, notable that American Candy is so good that you have American Candy stores all over the place.
0: I think we should wrap up there, but thank you so much for coming on, both of you, uh, Rebecca and Colin, and and for for bringing us this list, bringing this list to our attention. Um, 52 fantastic under-90-minute films. Um, I don't think you can go wrong with anything. You know, the joy of film watching is exploration, right? And, you know, you might not vibe with everything, but there's some really great stuff on here, and you can find your, your own pace. And... So many of these films we've covered on the podcast already. So if you do you know see a film you like, check our feed because we may well have done an episode on it. That's right. Well, thank you.
2: Thank you so much. Cool. Thanks,
0: guys. Merry Christmas.
2: Merry Christmas.
0: Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or if you've got a mo, Share an episode with your friends. Every recommendation helps. You can contact us on our website, 90minfilmfest.com, and on Twitter and Instagram, at 90minfilmfest. The podcast is produced by me, Sam Clements, and Louise Owen. It's edited by Louise Owen, with sound mixing and additional editing by Luke Smith. Our music is by Martin Ostwick, and our artwork is by Sam Gilby. We'll be back in a couple of weeks.
2: a proud member of the Stripped Media Network.